Man, awesome. Thank you, Ella. Well, hello again. If uh, I haven't met you met yet, my name is Aaron, and um, I'm so stoked that you would spend time with us here this afternoon, regardless of if this is your first time or your millionth time. I'm, I'm thankful that you want to spend some time listening to me talk for the next four hours. I am truly grateful that got more laughs as well in my head. I'm learning humor, everyone, so this is good. Uh, but, but this afternoon, we're, we're continuing our series on Ephesians. So uh, the first week, uh, Scott brought us this incredible message on um, God the Father adopt, God the Son redeems, and God the Spirit seals. Uh, in the second week, Mike spoke to us and, and about Paul's letter and, and saying, uh, it, it's not enough for us just to know about God. But, but there's this call for us to know who He is. Do you know God was the question that He left us with. And then today we're, we're jumping in um, a bit further into uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Uh, and, and Paul does this beautiful thing. There's this beautiful quote that I loved. And it says, Paul plums the depths of pessimism about man and rises to the heights of optimism about God. Where Paul does in this passage is paint a vivid contrast between what man is by nature and what he can become by grace. And so friends, to, to pray before I start the, this afternoon, I want to do something a bit different. Um, I believe that our whole life is an act of worship, whether we uh, say verbal prayers, uh, whether we're greeting someone, whether we're singing. I believe all of that is an act of worship and all of that is actually a prayer language that we speak to God. And so this afternoon, I wanted to just teach you a chorus of a song. I'm the creative guy, so I just do this kind of thing, right? Um, I want to teach you a chorus and it's going to be our prayer as we start the sermon this afternoon. And so the words are, Holy Spirit, come rest on us, you're all we want. It's pretty simple. So I'll sing it a few times. Feel free to uh, have your normal prayer posture because this is a prayer to God. Uh, and we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and rest on us and, and speak to us this afternoon. us aware of your presence this afternoon. We ask that your voice would be louder than mine, that God, your word would cut through to our hearts, that uh, it would come alive into our spirit and into our beings. Father, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here in Brisbane. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Awesome. Let's give Matt a hand for his exceptional stamina today. He played for way longer than usual. Uh, but just to start, I just want to read our, our passage to you. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10, it says this. Uh, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, 
following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of our flesh and of our senses. And we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy and out of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us Uh, with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For grace, you have been saved and through faith, it is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not the results of work so that that one may boast, uh, for we for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Friends, I wonder this afternoon, have you ever tried to save something? Uh, maybe it was your assignment at 11.28 last night when it was due at midnight. So sorry, Paul Jones. And then the computer crashes and then I'm like quickly trying to recover this assignment. Uh, maybe you were playing FIFA before you came this afternoon, Tristan, I don't know. And uh, you wanted, wherever you are, Tristan, uh, you wanted to try and save your progress before you knew that Claire was coming to turn it off on the PowerPoint because you've been there for too long and you couldn't help but lose your progress. Uh, maybe it was your turn to cook dinner. And, uh, you know, you like to go off the cuff a bit. You don't like to follow a recipe. So you're just throwing some things in, a bit of this, a bit of that. And then it comes out and it tastes pretty disgusting. And you're like, oh my gosh, I need saving. Uh, maybe it was actually, a, dare I say this, a social interaction before you walked into the building and you got stuck in one of those, you know, those conversations where you get stuck. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. There's those conversations where you get stuck and you need saving. <laughs> oh man, I, when I think of this, I think of this one story, and if you're in my small group or have ever been in my small group, I'm so sorry because I've shared this before, but it haunts me to this day. We used to have a pet budgie, and I have a picture of him on the screen just so you understand the size of him to the size of me. Uh, we had this pet budgie, and um, in my household, I'm going to say I was six, I was probably 14, but let's say I was six, and uh, there was this general rule that if you let the budgie out of the cage, because, you know, it was hand-raised, so you could put it on your shoulder or put it on your finger. Uh, if you let this budgie out of the cage, please let Aaron know. Uh, and in brackets, it was probably something like, because he's a sook or something like that. But let Aaron know if you get this budgie out of the cage. And if you know me, uh, I have three brothers, uh, four boys in the house, if you include my father. And sometimes we don't always follow the rules. There was this one time where my brother, Nat, I've never forgiven him. Maybe I should do that after this message. Um, and he let the bird out of the cage. And I'm sitting there watching TV, not doing anything wrong, might I add, perfect child. And I hear this, <laughs> that is the sound of the devil flying towards you, friends. This, this budgie was like zooming in on me. His beak was ready to get me in the temple and I would drop dead just like that. And so I wasn't having a bar of this. I needed saving. So I stood up and I sprinted towards my room and I slammed the door to this devil. Mom comes over. She approaches my door and she goes, Aaron, Aaron, can you, can you please open the door? I said, Mom, I respect you, but I am not opening the door because I know what is outside. She goes, Aaron, you need to open 
the door. So, you know, being the, the perfect child that I am, respecting my mother for who she is and her leadership in my life, I opened the door and um, I learned why she wanted me to open the door. Well, the budgie's foot, you see, got stuck in the door. And um, to cut a long story short, he was fine. It just dropped off. Um, and he only had one foot for the rest of his life, and he had diarrhea for the rest of his life. But he lived longer than any other budgie I've ever met, so you're welcome, TJ. Ugh. But I needed saving, right? I was in this situation where I was petrified, and I needed saving, uh, but friends, this is a light-hearted uh, analogy to help us think about what is true of our lives. Uh, see, I think that we are in a culture, we are in a society of people who like to try and save themselves. Uh, John Tyson puts it in these words that uh, we are a project self-society. We, we are constantly trying to save ourselves from something. Maybe it's our, our grades at college, or maybe uh, it's our grades at school, or uh, maybe it's something deeper than that. Maybe it's actually... Uh, mistrust. Maybe uh, it's bad decisions. Maybe it's from addictions. Maybe it's from insignificance. Friends, we all are trying to save ourselves from something. And today we find ourselves reading uh, from Paul what he wanted the Ephesians to know, and I believe he actually wanted us to understand as well today, that we have an incurable sickness. He says that we are spiritually dead. And, and this means uh, uh, God, God's made us up, right? You've probably heard this before, of mind, body, and spirit. Like, that's our, that's our kind of build. And there's this picture that when we're spiritually dead, we, we no longer, no, sorry, we just operate out of how we feel and what we want. So when we're spiritually dead, there's, there's this no discerning through the Holy Spirit. If we're a Christian, there's this operation that we just operate, we make decisions, we make lifestyle choices, we treat people out of how we feel, and out of how we want. Paul says that we are spiritually dead. So what does he mean here? Is he trying to suggest that before we become Christians, we're all rotten people and we can't do any good? Or is he, is he saying that those of us who aren't Christians here this afternoon, that, or that again, we are just dead people, we're no use? I don't think so. Um, I don't know about you, but I know many non-Christian people uh, who are much better at being a good person than I am. They love people better, they treat people better, they serve the community much better than I. And so I don't think this is what Paul's getting at. Uh, so what is he saying? Well, I, I believe that he's saying that no matter what we do, no matter how hard that we strive or try and earn this, that there's nothing that we can do that can reconcile us back to God. There's nothing that we can do to save our souls. There's nothing that we can do to reach true fulfillment or purpose, but rather we are spiritually dead. So, so why does Paul say this? Uh, let's look at verse 1 together. Uh, and it's, it says this, You were dead through the trespass, trespasses, I say that word regularly, so bear with me for the rest of today, uh, and sins. The, this is our first verse. And, and I just want to break this down, because these are two words for us in church that we get quite familiar with, right? Like sin gets thrown around like Jesus. <laughs> like we use these words a lot. Um, but I believe that these words are used here to give a comprehensive account. Uh, I believe there's detail behind them. So a trespass is a false step, and it's involving either the crossing of a known boundary or a deviation from the right path. That's a trespass. 
And then, and then sin is a missing of the mark, a falling short of a standard. I'm reminded of Isaiah 59 too, where it says your iniquities, you could consider maybe your sin, your transgressions, have made a separation between you and your God. Paul is reminding us here of our default state. Uh, in Romans 3.23, he says that for all have uh, sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if you're not a Christian here this afternoon, um, this may not mean much to you yet. Because it's like, who is this guy called Paul who's telling me that I've falsely stepped? Like, what has he got to, to say that I'm, I'm dead? Like, back, get off my case, man. Um, but I can I encourage you to stick with me because uh, as we go on this afternoon, I feel like there's some stuff that you might be able to relate to. Um, I certainly can in my life. And, and if that is true, there's some good news coming. There's some really good news coming. Uh, and maybe you are a, a Christian here tonight, and, and I fall into what I'm about to say all the time. We, we hear these passages that are familiar in the church, and we go, I know how this ends. This, this probably isn't for me this afternoon. But again, well, what Paul goes on to write, man, I relate to a heck of a lot. I see in my life a lot. And so, friends, again, I think there's something in it for us. So if behind death lies our sin, lies our trespasses, um, what is beneath our sin that leads to this captivity, to this, uh, yeah, this captivity that we feel? What, what pushes us away from God? Well, Paul says this. He says, we are enslaved and we are condemned. Enslaved by the world, the flesh, and the devil. So let's start with the world. He, uh, yes, sorry, I just lost my spot. And so in, um, in 1 John, uh, he describes worldliness as this, and I think it gives us a really good definition. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life comes not from the Father, but of the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I love how Eugene Peterson puts this in the message. He says, don't love the world's ways. He says, don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all it's wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. And friends, if we're honest with ourselves this afternoon, and myself included, I probably wouldn't normally consider myself as a worldly person. I like to think that I do good most of the time. I like to think that I'm pretty well behaved. Thankfully, mom isn't here tonight to tell me otherwise. Uh, and I, would, I wouldn't consider myself as worldly. But the reality is we've all been formed by or shaped by something in the world. We think about our schooling, our university. We think about the music that we listen to, the shows that we watch on TV. All of these things shape us and they form us. All of these have influenced our worldview in one way or another. They've influenced our definition of inclusion and of exclusion, of failure and of uh, success, of love and of hate, of materialism, of discrimination, of injustice, of hope, peace, equality, all of these things, our life experience influence. It shapes. 
Its influence is pervasive. John Scott writes that it's this cultural bondage that holds us. And I believe that Paul's writings suggest that uh, when we're spiritually dead, we simply are just drifting along the stream of the world's ideas, ways of living. We're, we're not aware most of the time. Paul doesn't just finish there. He says, not only do we follow in the ways of the world, uh, but he writes that we are enslaved to the devil. He, he, he writes that the ruler of the kingdom of the earth, spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And I believe what Paul is writing here, um, no expert, but <laughs> this is what I believe, uh, that, that every believer, or say every person, we actually live in contested space. See, as Christians, we believe that Satan is not only the source of our temptation and of our sin, but we read in Scripture that he is a lion and a murderer. Uh, when we dive in deep into Scripture, we, we read that he is actually quite powerful. And the only power that can overcome that we believe is God. He's the only one that can save us. Paul suggests that the age that we live in is not, just inc- is not inclined towards God, but rather inclined towards the devil. It shapes us. It influences us. Friends, we are in need of saving. Not only are we dead in our sin, uh, not only are we slaves to the world and to the devil, but uh, Paul writes that we are slaves to ourselves. Uh, We are enslaved to our lust and our desires, and we often relate these words to just sexual connotations, but the definitions of these words means much, much more. It actually it, uh, reveals itself to be strong inclinations and desires of every sort. A strong willfulness. Willfulness is what this actually means. And so then this no longer just includes our sexual temptation, but also includes things like our pride, like our ambition, like our identity. John Scott puts it beautifully. He says, So then before Jesus Christ set us free, we were subject to the oppressive influences both within and without. Outside was the world, the prevailing secular culture. Inside was the flesh, our fallen nature, twisted with self-centeredness. And beyond both, actively working through both, was that the evil spirit, the devil, the ruler of the kingdom of darkness who held us in captivity. Friends, if this is your first time in church in a while, you're like, what a Sunday to rock up. Doom and gloom. The preacher says that uh, I am dead and that the devil is ruling my life. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, friends, th- this is not, I think, what Paul is saying. Um, because because uh, like, let's think about this. When we are enslaved to our flesh, there's some, there's some enjoyment in that, right? Like That means we get to do whatever we want, whenever we want. Like, I've made decisions like that, and it doesn't always suck. Sometimes it's really fun. Sometimes it's awesome, and it fulfills this temporary slot in our life. But, but what Paul's trying to paint p- the picture here is that there is actually a result. There's a fruitfulness of this enslavement. It doesn't just end there. In verse 3, he reminds us uh, that all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But friends, this this wrath is not like we would understand as humans, not like the wrath that I would have when this budgie is flying towards my face. Uh, But no, it's it's not a bad temper. It's not, he may not fly off the handle at any moment. It's not spite nor malice nor revenge. It's not subject to his mood. 
there's a divine reaction to only one situation, and that's evil. Friends, there's no room for evil in perfect love. It's God's personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil, his settled refusal to compromise with it, and his resolve instead to condemn it. There is no space for evil in perfect love. And friends, this text would suggest that we've all experienced this deadness. For some of us, that actually could be exactly how we're living at the moment. And if we're honest, we actually may not see anything wrong with that. Maybe if you even consider yourself a Christian, maybe there's parts of our life that if we're honest with ourselves might actually still be dead, might be spiritually dead, they might be dark. Friends, I can think of multiple moments in my life where I've flown under this banner of Christian, but if I'm honest with myself, I've been living for my own pride, my own ambition, my own identity, living out the desires of my flesh, whatever I want, whenever I want it. Friends, I would suggest that this is the type of thing that Paul's addressing. Paul's not just saying that back in the beginning of the book in Genesis that there was this man that sinned that ruined it for the rest of people. But no, he's reminding us that death came to all people because all sinned. We read that in Romans 5.12. You and I, we've all fallen short. We've all sinned. Friends, we were enslaved to the world, to the flesh, to the devil, deserving the wrath of God. In our efforts and striving, nothing we could do or we could ever achieve would save us from this death. We were dead deceived, and disobedient. But Paul doesn't just leave us to dwell in our mess. No, he reminds us of the two most uh, life-giving words that I've found in Scripture. But God. But God. See, friends, we were objects of his wrath, but God, out of the great love which he had loved us, had mercy on us. We were dead, and dead men do not rise, but God made us alive with Christ. We were slaves in a situation of dishonor, but God has raised us up with Christ, and we are at the right hand in a position of honor. See, God could not leave us dead. Rather, he reversed the outcomes of our sin. He reversed the condition of our sin. John Tyson beautifully says that it was love that welcomed us into the family, and it was mercy that kept us in. It was love that welcomed us into the family, and mercy that kept us in. But God... Verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Friends, I was thinking and dwelling a lot on this this week, and um, I started to become a bit more aware of this cancel culture that's happening in society. Uh, And I don't believe it's just out there, but I also believe it happens in our lives, in our uh, everyday. Friends, when people do something, their sin or their mistakes or their actions, uh, there's this growing trend of us just canceling them, saying that that actually, they're done. I I have no more respect, like end end of your story in my life. But as I was dwelling and reading on this passage, I actually believe that the kingdom of God says something vastly different. Vastly different. See, society deems to cancel, but God desires to redeem. Society deems to cancel, but friends, God desires to redeem. God's love and mercy drive him. It's just who he is. It's who he is. 
society probably would have canceled Adam and Eve, but God clothed them and, and helped contribute to making a covenant to restore humanity. Abraham probably would have been canceled by society, but again, God used him to redeem all of creation. Jonah, society again, canceled, no deal, but God uses him to save a whole city. Society deems to cancel, but God desires to redeem. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Friends, God's love and mercy isn't a passive feeling. Rather, it's an active action. Because of God's love and mercy, we have been, number one, made alive. Simply, we are no longer led by just our body, our, body, our mind and our body, uh, but rather we, the Spirit comes alive within us, within us and we can make decisions and, and live our life with this leading Spirit that helps us discern and make decisions. To be alive is to be led by the Spirit. Galatians 5 uh, verses 16 to 18 says, so I, walk, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the, devi- the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not to do whatever you want, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Jesus reminds us in John 3.3 that very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In Ezekiel 36.26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God, by his love and by his mercy, has made us alive. This is exactly what we just witnessed last Sunday on the steps. The people in our community that made a decision to move from death to life through God's love and through his mercy. A commentary I was reading reminded me of this. He says, this is what God did to those who were dead in sin. He shared in our death so that we could share in his resurrection life. The old man is crucified and we are new creations in Jesus with the old things passing away and all things becoming new. Friends, Paul adds this beautiful point here. He says, by grace. By grace. He, do, he doesn't write that when you successfully read your Bible plan six days in a row, although that's good. He doesn't say, when you finally sorted out your life to live the life that I want you to do, maybe then. He doesn't say that. It's not when you have your life together. It's not when you obtain a certain intellectual understanding. It's not when you feel God in a certain way. No, it says, by grace. It's a gift that you have been saved. In no way is this involving man's merit. Our salvation, our rescue from spiritual death is God's work for the undeserving. We need to stop trying to work for something that God's already given us. We need to stop striving, idolizing, trying to obtain the love and the grace and the mercy of our God that has already been gifted to us. There's no need. Friends, because of God's love and his mercy, in verse 6 we read that we are raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is our present position, uh, yeah, our present position as Christians. We sit in heavenly places with Christ. And what does this mean? 
John Tarzan breaks it down beautifully. He says, instead of looking at our problems, we get to look down at our problems with a heavenly perspective. How beautiful is that? We are raised up when we were dead by grace, the gift that we've been given. Friends, because of God's love and mercy, we are eternal recipients. Paul has painted the past tense, the current tense, and the future tense of our salvation. God will continue to show his exceeding grace to us for the rest of our days. It doesn't just finish, but no, this is an eternal promise. God will never stop dealing with us on the basis of grace. So how now shall we live? This is the whole point of the season. How now shall we live knowing this truth, knowing the gift that's been given to us? It's a simple but hard task. We have to live like we've received this gift. I want you to think about when you give someone a gift. If I was to give Calvin uh, this jacket, maybe. Would you like that, Calvin? Great. I give Calvin this this jacket as a gift. Uh, My one hope is that maybe one Sunday I would come to church and see Calvin wearing this jacket. That would just make my day. If he doesn't, I would think to myself that it's a waste. It's a waste of a gift. Man, if Calvin only knew how good he would look if he wore this jacket, that's what I'd be thinking to myself. Friends, we have to live our lives like we have been given a gift, like we have been made alive by the grace of God. We are God's workmanship. And when we look at the root of that word, it breaks down to be something like poetry or art. Friends, we are God's art. And like most artists, it should take some resemblance, uh, most art pieces, it should take some resemblance of the artist, right? When we look at or listen to certain types of music or, or look at certain types of paintings, they often fit in a genre and we can point out things that we know the artist loves to do. Eminem loves to say stuff really quick so I can't remember it. <laughs> Ed Sheeran likes to sing stuff about love or something. Like, like we, can, we can point things back because it, it's a characteristic. It's something he does. Friends, if someone walked into the doors of our church this afternoon and went from pew to pew, from life to life, from story to story, would they leave going, wow, I think I kind of know a little bit more what God could be like. Again, John Tyson, he says, the church is a gallery filled with the glory of God where people come in to seem to see what he has done to redeem us. But if this is what it means to be alive, friends, it suggests that there first has to be a death. We have to die to ourselves that we no longer would live, but Christ would live in us. And, and this is where I just want to speak in this afternoon. I feel like there's a few things that God is maybe highlighting in our community. If the band want to uh, come back up, that would be amazing. But maybe you found yourself in church this afternoon, and maybe a lot of this, I've kind of just, I feel like I've rushed through it, so I apologize for that. There's a lot there. Um, but, but I feel like there could be some people, and if I'm wrong, um, what's the worst that could happen? But I get a sense that there could be people that find themselves in church this afternoon, maybe for the first time in a while, and um, a lot of this may not even make any sense to you, but you, you do have this sense in your spirit that you are not free that you've been living in captivity. You don't feel free. 
And you don't know why you have that feeling, but there's just something in you that knows that's not how life's meant to be. Friend, I feel like God could be calling your name this afternoon. And he's asking, friend, are you you ready for me to write but God into your story? You actually don't have to do anything. You don't have to sort out your life first. But are you ready to receive a gift? Are you ready for me to write but God into your life, into your story? I love that in verse 5. It says, even when you were dead. See, this doesn't just start when we figured it out. But no, while we're still dead in our sin, in our trespasses, but God. But God. Love looked like death on a cross. Mercy looked like unmerited forgiveness and compassion. That is what Jesus Christ offers us. Second sense that I have this afternoon, there's three in total, so I promise I'm wrapping up, is that you would consider yourself a Christian, but there's a part of your life that maybe you have kept secret. Maybe it's an addiction, uh, but it could actually also be just unforgiveness in your heart. And, and it's actually really painful for you to think about. It's not comfortable, but you know it's there. When I was praying this afternoon about this, God gave me this picture that it's like you're driving down a dark road with only one headlight working. You can see, but, but maybe at only 80%. You know you could see better if you had that other headlight. It's, it's kind of like our lives. When we hide a part of it and put it away, we're, we're operating at about 80% of our capacity. But I feel like God might be saying to us this afternoon, would you let me shine a light into that other 20%? Would you let me make that alive? Help it move from dead to life. I, I didn't make you to live in the 80%. And the last sense that I had this afternoon is that um, you believe that God has, has taken you on that journey from death to life. And it's, it's amazing, but... Uh, living it out is actually really hard. Living like you've been given this free gift that you have been made alive is easier said than done. I admit that. Maybe you've got a hostile working environment that actually puts pressure on you. Maybe you've been, been praying for a miracle for a while and that actually hasn't come to fruition. So living in this fullness, in this aliveness is actually really hard because there's this thing bubbling over here that you're not seeing life in. I feel like God wants to to make you feel seen tonight. What do I mean? I feel like God sees your pain. I feel like He understands the difficult nature of this task. It was never made to be easy. But He sees you and He hears you. So why don't we um, stand to our feet this afternoon? If any of those things um, hit true for you, we're just going to all close our eyes around this place this afternoon. If any of those three things that I mentioned, that maybe you, you sense that you've been living in death, you've been living in captivity, and you don't know why, but you know that it's not right. You know you want to be free. 
maybe there's that, that secret hidden place of your life that's dark um, and you've been living at 80% but you believe that there could be more for you. Or maybe you're just really struggling to live like you've been given this gift to be made alive. Just like we did earlier, I just invite you to open your hands in front of you if, if that resonates with you. God, these aren't magic words. We don't have to do a certain potion to try and figure out what you're doing, but but I feel like I, I got these images because God wants you to know that He sees you. He knows you and He loves you even if you are still dead. And so across this place, we're just going to say a simple prayer together. If you want to repeat this after me, uh, feel free to, no pressure at all. But dear God, help me to become alive. Dear God, help me to become alive. Friends, I don't believe that's the end of your conversation with God, but I, I think it's a pretty good place to start. We're going to go back into that song we we introduced earlier today. You reign above it all because coming into the light is giving headship, giving kingship back to God. Saying that God, I no longer want to live in darkness, but you reign above it all.